to the men's conference. I got to tell you, 34 of us down there, it was wonderful to be together, to be sitting under God's word and, and to be encouraged in fellowship. Um, it was a great time. And so I just want to say uh, to you ladies and to you kids who let your dad's husbands go, thank you so much. It was a great time together. The fellowship that we had was absolutely glorious. And uh, we're just grateful for your investment in your husband and your dad by letting them go. So thank you so much for that. Last week we began chapter 13 in Acts. We're making our way through these chapters as we see the mission of God unfold before our very eyes. God is always moving and always accomplishing his mission and he's using people like you and me to do it. Last week, in fact, we saw um, when, when disciples are on mission, there are certain things that you just see happening when God is using people. Uh, we saw last week in our text that this little church at Antioch, which was a fairly new church, it's not like it had been established for a long time, this, this little church, they were found in the opening verses of chapter 13. What were they doing? They were fasting and praying and waiting on the Lord. And uh, we talked about all the different ways that we can do that, and I just want to Again, remind you, if you haven't downloaded the Dwell app, I can't encourage that app enough. In fact, on Thursday night, as I was uh, a little bit sleepless, I again clicked that thing on and let the Word of God wash over me with, with some music in the back. It, it was a blessing. So if you haven't done that yet, whip out your iPhone, download the Dwell app. So we saw that they wait on the Lord. We saw that they, they obeyed the Lord as the Holy Spirit came and impressed upon them that Paul and Barnabas were to go out. What did they do? But the church gathered around Paul and Barnabas and said, all right, get out of here. You got to go. They, they sent them out with the blessing and the power of the Holy Spirit. We also saw last week that, that disciples, what do they do? We, we trust the word of God. We know together that the gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation. And so as we saw that last week, we're going to continue the story this week. We're going to continue it by looking again at our slide of the map of this region. Barnabas and Paul were set off from, you see the city there, Antioch. You see where it starts, Antioch, and the Holy Spirit commissioned them out. They went over to, they sailed uh, to the island of Cyprus. Barnabas was from Cyprus originally. They landed, you see that little town called Salamis. They preached the gospel there. Then they made their way across the island to the other side. Uh, they arrived at Paphos. And, and that's where we heard last week uh, as Paul preached the gospel to the Roman consul. Um, his name was, uh, let me get it right, Sergius Paulus. And this guy... Impressed by the word of God and the gospel, he, he gave his heart to Christ. He was actually, it says in verse 12, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And so he, he became a Christian. He and, in fact, his entire family, we have history that documents those facts for us. Well, we're going to continue the story today. And before we read our passage, I just wanted to take you through on the map where we are headed. So from Paphos, Paul and Barnabas and John, there were three of them together. They set sail again. This time they headed due north up to Perga in Pamphylia, as you see on the map. Uh, then after John Mark uh, went back to Jerusalem, he left them from Perga. So he went back to Jerusalem 
Uh, and the other two, Paul and Barnabas, went on to Antioch in Pisidia, where the rest of the story for today happens. Now, you may be wondering, Antioch, again, I thought they sailed from Antioch. And if you, you would be a little confused, that would be understandable because uh, it was not uncommon back in those days uh, for cities to have the same name because men like to honor their fathers. Men who were rulers would like to honor their fathers by naming cities after them. So there was a dude, a ruler, a Roman ruler named Antiochus. And when his son came into power, he decided to honor his dad by naming a bunch of cities Antioch in honor of him. So we have Antioch where they started the journey. We have Antioch and Pisidia where this story happens today. There are other Antiochs. You even see them on the map above me uh, that were named Antioch. So uh, that was the story if you were a little confused by, by the name. This city, Antioch and Pisidia, it had a significant Jewish population. From the dispersion, from the expansion of the work of God, uh, there were enough Jews there to support its own synagogue. And in this context that we're going to read, Paul and Barnabas go to synagogue. They go to the service where they hear a reading from the law and the prophets. And somehow, we're not told how, somehow the leaders at the synagogue uh, got word that Paul was there, and they knew that Paul had been taught by Gamaliel, who he was a, a well-known teacher of the law. And so wanting to hear from him, they go over to Paul after the service, not before it was concluded, but kind of near to the end, and said, hey, if you've got anything you want to share and encourage with us, do it. And Paul stands up and he preaches this powerful gospel which we'll read in just a moment. So that's just a backdrop to our story today. Uh, I'm going to read now. It's it's a number of verses. I'm going to read Acts. I'm starting at verse 13. I want to ask you again, follow along in your Bible, if you would, as we hear uh, God's word. Uh, as we heard yesterday, our, our speaker, Brian Davis, one time when he read the Bible, he said, you're not going to hear anything better in all of today than what you're about to hear right now. And I say that to you as well. You won't hear anything better than what we're about to hear because this is God's holy, inerrant perfect, authoritative word, and let us hear it now with ears of faith. Now Paul and his companions set sail at Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga to and came to Antioch in Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm he led them out of it. And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. 
And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers... Because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. Verse 32. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption." Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, 
they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirring up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went on to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless the proclamation of his perfect and mighty word. This is a long sermon, not mine, but this one. Um, you kids take hope. It's not long, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to break it down into three sections that will help us catch what Paul is after in each of these sections. So the first section that Paul preaches, I would title this way. God acts on behalf of his people. We see this in verses 16 through 25. So in this sermon, Paul is seeking to do something. This sermon has um, likeness to actually the sermon that Stephen preached, after which Stephen, if you remember, he was stoned. It's very similar. Paul is preaching a sermon, but the effect, uh, Stephen's, Stephen's sermon was more angled to, you know, you, you Jewish people, you have rejected the Messiah. Therefore, God is turning to the Gentiles. This one, Paul is seeking to impress upon these Jewish hearers that God has always acted on their behalf. God has always moved in history for their good. In fact, it could be said that God acts in history for the redemption of everyone who will ever believe him, and he acts in mighty and powerful ways. So I prepared a slide because there's so many ways that, that Paul helps them to see how God has acted on their behalf. In fact, 13 times uh, we'll, we'll see on this slide. I'm just going to reference them. Listen to all the ways that God has acted for his people. Verse 17, God chose the people of Israel. God made the people great. God led them out of Egypt. God endured the people in the wilderness. God overthrew seven nations. God gave them the promised land. God gave them judges. God gave them Saul. God removed Saul. God raised up David. God testified about David. God promised a Savior. God brought that Savior to Israel. And if you can keep that slide up just for a few moments as we're talking about this, I, I want you to see as you look at all the things on the screen that God is doing, why is Paul preaching his gospel this way? It's because he's making an appeal to them to say, you know, you, you think that your life is all about you and what you're doing, and, and actually your life is, is at the work and hand of God. Look through the halls of history, Paul is saying to these Israelites and, and by them to us as well. Look at the halls of history and see who is acting. So often we think that it's us that are doing the acting or we're, we're bringing things about. And, and he's saying to them, he's communicating to them, no, God is the one that is acting all the time. God cares. God acts. God creates. 
God builds up. God raises up. God brings down. God leads. God endures. I really appreciated that where he says he endured the people in the wilderness. You know, God has to endure with you and God has to endure with me. And God endures. He loves to endure with his people. He, he leads. He promises. He provides. This is what God is. This is what he's like. I so appreciated our, our worship set this morning because our eyes, what, what were they? They were cast to God and all he's done. Who has held the grains of sand in his hand? Who has, who has numbered them all? Who taught God wisdom? Who did he go as his counselor when he was to create the world? Who did he consult to make the universe? No one, because he's God. And that's what Paul is doing as he's preaching and proclaiming and walking them down through the halls of history. He's saying, listen, you who, who think everything revolves around you, know it's God that does all things. God that works and moves. The fact that you're here this morning at Grace Community Church is because God brought you to this church. I know you got in the car and you turned the key and you put it in drive and you, you got yourself here, but who motivated you? Who was the one that inclined you toward God? Was it you yourself? You were just particularly bright? No, God got you here this morning. If you're a saved believer this morning, how are you saved? Because you made a great decision? No, it's because God moved in your heart. It's because God loves you. And, and he's trying to reach this, quite frankly, this hard-hearted crew. He's saying, oh, if you could just see how much God loves you, if you could just see how much God is at the center of all things, if you could just see how much God loves you and he works to bring that restoration, if you could only see it, then you would turn and then you would believe it. I was helped by this uh, commentator named Vaughn Roberts, and he says this. To live under God's rule means to enjoy God's blessing. The two, they go together. This, in fact, coincides with our New City Catechism that we just heard uh, this morning. Uh, God's blessing and to live under his rule, they, they go together. This is what we see at the creation of the Garden of Eden until the fall. But then human beings disobey God and forego his blessing. The consequences are devastating, not just for humanity, but for the whole creation. Everything is spoiled. But in his great love, God promises to put everything right again and reestablish his kingdom on earth. And the rest of the Bible tells the story of the fulfillment of that promise, partially in Israel's history in the Old Testament period, and then perfectly through Jesus Christ. So the Bible is about God's plan of salvation, his promise to restore his kingdom, and then the fulfillment of that promise through his son, Jesus Christ. This is exactly what Paul is doing. He's reaching all the way back to the patriarchs. And he says, listen, when God chose us to be a people for his own glory, he was choosing us for good. He was choosing us that he might redeem us. He was choosing us that we might be his people. And the Jews at that time had simply 
stated they had just lost sight of it. They had lost sight of why they were there. They thought they were there just to uh, keep the, the small details of the law. And so by keeping the law, earn their own salvation. They had lost sight of the whole reality of God. And, you know, I, I say to you, as I say to myself, you know, if, if these people who were close to the Word of God, who, who read so often and so regularly the Old Testament prophets and the law, and the, if they were so close to it and yet missed the point, how much more so can we in our day miss the point of God's activity in our hearts and in our lives? He's moving and working, and he's wanting us to see that our salvation is in him and it's not in ourselves. It's not in our own striving. It's not in our performance. You know, we live, don't we? We live in such a performance uh, culture. Everything about us is about performance. You know, I mean, four football teams are going to play today. Two are going to go home with their heads hung low, and two are going to rise up. And then in two weeks, we'll see those two play against each other, and one of them will go home in shame, and the other one will, will rise up and have a victory parade. My car... Um, it broke down a few weeks ago, and I went online and, and started Googling what's going on with my car, uh, 20, 2012 Subaru Impreza, and I saw all this data about the performance of these cars. Everything in our lives are about performance. It's understandable that we would import that into our relationship with God. But this is what is so beautiful about the gospel. It's not about our performance. It's not about how many times you read the Bible this week. It's not about whether or not you sinned. It's about the perfection of Christ being applied to you. And they, they had just, they just missed it. They had missed it, and, and sometimes I miss it. And sometimes we all miss it. And so Paul is, is trying to appeal to them from their own history Hey, you, you think you're bringing about God's kingdom? No, no, God's the one who works, and, and God's the one who restores, and God's the one who redeems. And, and now we see this in point number two. God fulfills his promise of a redeemer. In verses 17 through 37, we won't read it all, but, but let me just walk through a few of the high points. Paul continues to go on to describe the message of salvation uh, provided by God. He shares that though they were near to the God all the time, they did not, I'm looking at verse 27, they did not recognize him. Though they were near to the law and the prophets, they didn't recognize him nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath. What is he saying? You guys go to church every week and you hear the word of God, but you don't understand it. You don't recognize who's standing in front of you when Jesus was there. And so, he, he, again, the, the warnings, the loving warnings are, are coming in the sermon. You can be near to the word of God and, and yet not see Christ for who he is. And in their blindness, these Jews, they had, though Christ had done nothing guilty of death, they still asked Pilate to have him executed. In their ignorance, however, they were unknowingly walking in the plan of God for Jesus because it was, it was set forth in the counsel and the will of God that he would be rejected and that he would be put to death. So after they crucified him, they removed him from the cross and they laid him in a tomb. And here's the crescendo of this section. Let me read this one section here. Verse 30. 
Here he says, But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. Verse 32, And we bring you, Jews, people who have lost their way, we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. That's the crescendo. He's, he's looking right at them and saying, you who are so close to the word of God, you who hear so often, you who crucified Jesus, God is a promise-keeping God. God fulfills his promise to Abraham. What did he promise to Abraham? He promised that through him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. How would that come to pass? It would happen because through Abraham's seed, Jesus came. And he's, he's reaching to them one more time that they would, not, they would not in their unbelief just turn their hearts yet away again. See, this good news has bearing on them if they will just believe God is a promise-keeping God. You know, I was thinking about this for, for many of us in this room. Many of us know and, and love Jesus Christ. We've been born again by the mercy of God. We've, we've seen the fact that God, God has brought us to the place of repentance, and we've trusted in Christ. And, and I was asking God, Lord, you know, these people, they know the gospel. They they. they largely trust the gospel. And, and if you don't know the gospel and if you haven't trusted the forgiveness of Christ, I, I appeal to you on the, the authority of God's word. Oh, would you trust him? Because there is a reality called hell for those who don't trust him. In the same way that, that these Jews rejected him, all who reject him will be subject to the wrath of hell because every knee will bow one day Every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and, and some will bow and confess it and, and make their way to heaven and some will bow and confess it and make their way to hell. This, this gospel that he's preaching is a gospel of love because he's telling them the truth. He's telling them that God is a promise-keeping God and he's, he's appeared in Jesus Christ to save them. And I was, I was praying you know, this week, Lord, how does this apply to my heart? Like, I, I believe in Christ. I have, I have trusted in Christ. There's something that, that Paul is emphasizing here about the, the promise-keeping nature of our God. On Thursday afternoon, um, in the office, I, this doesn't happen often, but through a combination of of events in my life, and uh, none of them dramatic, but a number of them discouraging. I felt, I don't know if you've had this happen, I, I just felt the bottom drop out. I felt a, such a profound discouragement. I want to share with you, I, I just texted Jules and I said, can you, can you please pray for me? I just... And for a period of, I don't know, maybe an hour, I just felt without hope. I can't explain it. And through the prayers of my dear wife um, and the brothers, actually that morning, 
led by Richard Eckhart, and I commend again to you our 6 a.m. prayer meeting. I know it's early. It's hard to get there. I understand all that. But, but as we were there again that morning, uh, Richard and other men in the church, just among the many things that we prayed for, including you all, uh, they prayed for their pastors. So appreciate that prayer. Um, you know, it was this strange and profound moment of, of just, you know, I just felt profoundly without hope. And um, I, you know, as I said, I texted Jules, and, and the Lord refreshed me by his spirit. And this is what he brought me to. He said, Jeremy, do you, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Yes, Lord, I trust you. Do you trust me, Jeremy? Really trust me with all the things that are on your mind, that are, that are weighing upon you. Do you trust me? said, yes, Lord, I trust you. Well, then to feel without hope, just understand, is to turn your back on me. And I repented. I repented of turning my back on God. By grace, a short period of time. But I repented, and I needed to repent, dear friends. Because I allowed myself for a moment to lose sight of the promises that God keeps. He keeps his promises. I want, I want to just illustrate one for you. In Deuteronomy 31.6, he says this, Be strong and courageous. On Thursday afternoon, that's the last thing that I felt. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And so, you know, I, I want to share with you your pastor as, as much as you might think that um, life is always good and easy. It, it is not. And, and this week, in a profound way, I, I saw a darkness that I didn't like. And when the bottom seemed to drop out for that time, it was rough. But the Lord comforted me. The Lord lifted me up. The Lord remembered his promise to me. And through the Holy Spirit, the promise was made real again. And I just want to encourage you in your life. I don't know. I hope you never have a moment like that, that dropping out. It just feels like, like where's the floor? But if you do, I just want to encourage you. The Lord lifts you. The Lord promises to walk with you. He promises to never let you go. You know, we sing that song, He Will Hold You Fast. Like I, At that moment on Thursday afternoon, I didn't feel like I had any grip on the Lord. And who held me fast? It was the Lord that held me fast. He is a promise-keeping God. That's what he's saying to them. He's like, you know, promise to Abraham is revealed now in Jesus Christ. And what, what I take from that is if, if God remembers the promises that cost him so much, if he remembers that promise to send Jesus and give his own son 
so that we rebels could be restored in relationship with God. If that cost them so much, if it was hard for God, I don't know if it was hard for God to do that, but, but if it was hard for him to, to remember that promise, how much more is he going to remember his promise to you and me? Promise to care for us. Promise to walk with us. Promise to never let us go. If he, if he fulfills his promise to all of humanity by sending Jesus Christ, is he not also going to fulfill his promises to you, dear Christian friend? May God grant us faith and belief and hope and joy even when it seems like the bottom falls out. The third thing I see in this passage, in this, in this sermon, is that God offers life to all who believe. He, in this little section, 38 to 41, here's where God get, uh, Paul excuse me, gets to the crux of this gospel message. And let, let me read this part again to you. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers. He's, he's digging in. He's, he's going for the jugular here. He said, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from, from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. What is he appealing to here? He's appearing, appealing to works righteousness. That's what he's appealing to. Why? Because, again, the Jews had turned the law into a means of their own salvation by saying, hey, if I keep this thing, if I tithe my dill and my cumin, if I separate my spices in the right way, if I don't take more than 40 steps on the Sabbath day, if I do all these things, I will make myself acceptable to God. And he's saying, no, the law could never free you from the guilt of your sin. So he's, he's saying, Here, here's what... Here's what the gospel is proclaiming to you, that, that through this man, Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins is offered to you. And God moves in the hearts of some that were there. We'll see that in just a moment. You know, we, we, we think about the love of God. We think about the justice of God. And the justice of God is this, that he just doesn't turn his eye on sin. It has to be atoned for and in his mighty mighty judgment those who turn to Christ those who look to him are forgiven of their sins fully and freely the past and the present and the future and those who do not turn to Christ they will suffer the punishment of God's wrath God is loving to proclaim this Christ to them and therefore to us. D.A. Carson, a commentator, said this, do you, do you wish to see God's love? Look to the cross. Do you, do you wish to see God's wrath? Look to the cross. He's saying this, that we all deserve, we're sinners all, we all deserve the wrath of God. And you want to see the love of God? The love of God propelled Jesus to that cross. You want to see the wrath of God? The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus for everyone who will ever believe for all time. You want to see the love of God? Look to the cross. You want to see the wrath of God? Look to the cross. Because for everyone that believes, the wrath of God is satisfied for you at the cross. This is why we sing about the cross. This is why we rejoice in the cross because it is the place of the satisfaction 
of payment for the sins of everyone who will ever believe. And he's appealing to them once more. Oh, would you look to the cross? You can have your sins forgiven. You can have life afresh. You can have joy if you just look to the cross of Christ. And he follows that up with this warning. He says, look, verse 41, look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells you he's referencing, again, referencing for them. They know the Old Testament law. He's rep- re- referencing Habakkuk 1.5 there. He's appealing to them that they not lose sight of what's right in front of them. They were blind, and, and he's asking God to open their hearts. Piper says it this way. I find this so provoking. He said, if you can't see the sun, you're going to be impressed with a streetlight. They couldn't see. They couldn't see the Son of God for anything. They couldn't see Jesus Christ. If you can't see the sun, you'll be impressed with a streetlight. If you've never felt lightning and thunder, you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of God, you'll fall in love with a world of shadows and short-lived pleasures. God, in his mercy to those who had repeatedly rejected him, the very people that put him on the cross, God is appealing to them another time Oh, to turn to Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. God doesn't want us to to love the shadows. God doesn't want us to think that that the streetlight is so amazing when he is the blazing center of all the universe. He wants to give us himself and satisfy us as we turn to him and as we love him and as he changes our hearts to see what things actually are. If, if all the light in the world is a street lamp, well, you know, then you're going to be content with playing in the, in the alleyway and in, in mud bogs. You know, you're, you're just going to be content with what little you can see. The light of the world has come. That the world could be revealed for what it is. Nothing that satisfies. If all we can see is a street lamp, We're going to think it's glorious. But if we see the sun, if we love the sun, you know what we have? We have everything. We have the Son of God, and we have all of life. We see finally the response to the gospel, and it's it's varied. As they heard the word preached, uh, some begged for more. They hadn't heard teaching like this, teaching with power and hope. They hadn't heard that, that they can be freed from this performance religiosity that says you've got to do all these things in order to measure up to God. They hadn't heard it before, and so they begged for more. Verse 43 tells us that many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. And, and if they're continuing in the grace of God... That means they must have believed in the grace of God. So they were converts. Again, the power of the Lord is in his mighty gospel to save. So they were converts, and they were, they were excited about this, and, and they were giving their hearts to this. But 
verse 45 says, but when the Jews saw the crowds, so they came back next Sunday for church. Luke says practically the whole town, the whole city was there, and they were being stirred up. Verse 45, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Again, they, they live on in their rejection of Christ. And Paul goes on to, to uh, appeal to them by quoting from Isaiah 49, uh, declaring the ongoing mission of God to go to the ends of the earth. And the response continued. And look what verse 48 says. Um, let me read it again here. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So we see here uh, the sovereignty of God in salvation. Those who were appointed to eternal life were, were granted that eternal life. They were granted that faith. And notice what happens next. The, the power of the gospel being proclaimed doesn't just stay with that little group there. What does it say? It goes throughout the entire Region Verse 49, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. God's word, God's power, God's action, God's activity. He said at the beginning of Acts that this gospel is going to go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's, in fact, what's happening. You know, as we have opportunity to support the work of mission, both in sovereign grace and in, in what God is doing elsewhere through, through all things, God is continuing to spread the hope of the gospel all around the world until someone from every tribe and tongue and nation and language has bowed their knee until the full family of God has been reached and then he will return in mighty glory We'll be with our Lord together for all time, worshiping and enjoying our Savior. And until that day comes, and I know you look forward to that day, as do I. Until that day comes, we have this privilege of speaking this gospel. We have this privilege of sharing this hope that we have within. So I, I think I mentioned, you know, a few weeks ago we when we went out to hand some bread, we, we were able to go also to a few neighbors in our neighborhood and, and, and share those loaves of bread. And, and uh, as we're just continuing to ask God, Lord, would you open the hearts of, of people right now? And I, I, I don't mean to demean anyone, but people right now, to use the Piper illustration, who, who are only seeing a streetlight. You know, God's going to use you, dear friend, to reach... You know, we, we sow the seed. We, we might be the one who just brings the word and someone else may pray the word and someone else may be the one who reaps uh, and, and God brings folks to salvation. But you know what? I, I pray for us as, as a body, as a church body, that we would be people who would just be joyfully joining God in this mission of spreading the gospel to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to the people around us, and on into the ends of the earth. Because that's where the gospel's going. And so as God does his work, we have the opportunity and the privilege to join with him in this great work. The gospel, Jerry Bridges, he says it this way, the gospel is not only the most important message in all of history, 
It is the only essential message in all of history. Think with me. What rivals the news of the gospel? Uh, the outcome of the Super Bowl in a couple weeks? Does that rival the news of the gospel? Uh, the presidential election? Um, whether or not Russia decides to make its way over and, and annex further countries. What, what is the greatest proclamation in the world? Oh, the printing press. That's probably a good thing to talk about. What rivals the news of the gospel? Tell me, is there anything that rivals this word? Nothing. Not a thing. It doesn't even hold a candle to it. It's like lighting a match in the presence of the Almighty Son. There's nothing that rivals this gospel. And dear church, let me just bring it home here. This is what we hold to. This is why we cling to it. This is why we say we love the gospel, because it's the only essential message in all of the history of the world. And it's the greatest message that you could ever tell to anybody in your life. So, church, let's, let's not take this great gospel and hide it under a bushel. No, no, by the grace of God, let us take this great gospel to the ends of the earth that Christ may be known wherever we go. Dear friends, that's where I want to go. Do you want to join with me in going there? Wherever the Lord takes us to the ends of the earth that we may hold on to this glorious gospel. This is what Paul and Barnabas are doing. This is what God calls us to do as well. Would you stand with me as we prepare our hearts to respond to this word? Dear friends, what we see in this, in this message by Paul is that God stands at the center of of all of history. He is the one who acts, he moves, he builds up, he breaks down, he restores, he promises and he provides the redeemer of all mankind that this gospel now we have goes forward, not in our power, actually, so often in our weakness, so that Christ's strength can be seen in and through us. So, dear friends, what is our hope in life? As long as God gives us life, what is our hope in life and death? That we're not our own. That we've been bought with a price. That we can proclaim this hope and just scatter the seed, give it away. It's not ours to keep. It's ours to proclaim. So what's our hope? Our hope is Jesus. And we're now going to sing about this hope of Jesus. And Lord, as we consider the part that Paul and Barnabas played in the proclamation of the gospel and as we consider the part that you call us to play in the proclamation of the gospel, Lord, um, we come back to what truly is our hope in life and death. It's Christ alone. It's his gospel alone. This is the only essential message in all of human history. And so, Lord, help us not to hide it but help us to declare it. Even though people will hate us for it, help us to be faithful to you because you are our only hope in life.
and in death. Thank you for the life that you give to us. Open the eyes of of people around us who may not know this hope. Enable us to be faithful to you in the hope of the gospel. This is what we pray. This is what we ask. And everyone together said, amen.